ночной шли вдвоем, а фонарики горели. И прибитие их на момент прийти, и сердца наши замляли. Hello and welcome to the SRB podcast, where in each episode we discuss Eurasian politics, culture, and history. As always, I'm your host, Sean Guillory. The SRB podcast is sponsored by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Pittsburgh and members of the SRB Table of Ranks, who give monthly contributions from anywhere between $5 to $25. If you'd like to support the podcast, go to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Sean's Russia blog, or to the podcast website, seansrussiablog.org, and hit that Patreon button and join the Table of Ranks. My guest this week, Alexei Kovilov, recently spent nine weeks visiting newsrooms throughout the United States as a World Press Institute fellow. Along with other fellows from Argentina, Brazil, Bulgaria, Myanmar, Portugal, Finland, India, and Malaysia, he met with journalists, got a sense of how local and new national newsrooms are managed, and experienced small-town and metropolitan America. So what were his impressions of his American colleagues and the United States. How does his experience as a Russian journalist converge and diverge with the media market of the U.S. and his companions on the fellowship? Here's Alexei to share his observations. Alexei Kovelov is a Russian journalist currently working as the managing editor of Coda.ru, an independent investigative reporting outlet. He's also the founder of Noodle Remover, a website devoted to exposing Russian media propaganda. You can follow him on Twitter at Alexei underscore Kovelov. Here's Alexei Kovelov. So you recently spent nine weeks in the United States on a World Press Institute Fellowship, uh, so I thought we'd start by just having you talk about what this fellowship is and why you applied for it. So it's an annual fellowship for based in at St. Thomas University uh, in the Twin Cities uh, in Minnesota. And every year it's been, it's been running uh, for uh, a few years now. And it, it relaunched in 2008 with a new base uh, at St. Thomas. Before that, they were based at McAllister. Now they're running out of St. Thomas, and uh, it's a nine weeks program for 10 journalists outside the United States, where you basically spend three weeks in Minneapolis and St. Paul and going around Minnesota. And then you're going on a five weeks tour of the United States. Uh, every year it's different cities. And you're going to uh, newsrooms from local newspapers to small media startups to the biggest media conglomerates uh, and think tanks, you're meeting policy experts and community leaders. And, uh, well, you, you come away uh, knowing a lot more about the United States than you did. Um, and it's a, it's a great program, and I would like to use this opportunity to thank everyone involved in it because it's really, really dedicated people, and uh, there's a lot of volunteers involved in it. Uh, people really putting in their time and effort uh, to help us feel welcome in the United States. And uh, some of them are acting as host families. Uh, some are tra travel staff traveling with us around the States, you know, curling this 
unruly group of uh, journalists <laughs> taking us to meetings and arranging uh, uh, arranging these meetings for us. And it's really uh, uh, it's kind of low key compared to other big uh, international media fellowships like uh, the Knight Fellowship at Stanford or Neiman. Uh, and, and it's shorter; it's just a couple of months. But it's very—I found it is very—it's—it's it's very well connected. I mean, we went—we went to the biggest newsrooms in the in the country, and we met the uh, the top media executives. Uh, so yeah, it's pretty—it's pretty well connected and high profile. Uh, so why did you apply? I mean, you've been a journalist for a, a while now, and you have. Uh, you know, you know a lot of other journalists, um, you know, foreign correspondents that worked in Russia, but also, you know, you were based in Britain. So, w why did you? Why did you apply? I, I'm assuming it also wasn't your first time to the United States. So, why did you apply for it, and what were you looking to get out of it? No, it was really, it was really my first proper time in the United States. Before that, I only went there twice, uh, once for three days in 2008 in Chicago for Lollapalooza. Which I spent, I spent, I spent my entire, entire first time in the United States in Millennium Park in Chicago, listening to loud, loud music, and then in in an even less representative example of uh, United States, I went to Aspen for a conference. Ah, okay. So, so it's, it's probably <laughs> it's probably even less representative of the United Definitely. States. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so now it was my first proper visit, and uh, I did see a lot. And I went to a lot of places that I not normally wouldn't on my own. And uh, why did I decide to, to sign up? Well, for uh, well, I I just wanted a, a change of scenery because I'm these days I'm mostly chained to my desk. I'm a, I'm a media manager. I'm running a newsroom, so I I don't have much opportunity to go out. And uh, finally, I thought it was a good chance to um, uh, finally see with my own eyes what I'm writing so much about because. Whether we like it or not, but most of the news, uh, most of the headlines we see, uh, whether it's in Russia or uh, anywhere else, it's about uh, United States, what's going on there, the trade wars, Trump, the American media, and whether we like it or not. But you guys are you guys are central uh, to the news agenda everywhere, and I just wanted to go and see with my own eyes, and I did, and I I came back knowing a lot more. Than I did before, and uh, that was kind of a, that was kind of the point. I, I was looking at the list of uh, 2018 fellows, the people that you were uh, went on this this fellowship with, and uh, it is a, a one a group of of young journalists from all over the world. I have you know someone from Argentina, Brazil, Bulgaria, Myanmar, Portugal, Finland, India, Malaysia. So, what did you uh, what did you learn about those? Other from those other journalists and their experience of, of practicing journalism in their respective countries? Well, first of all, well, it, it was really uh, a diverse mix. Uh, and uh, it was part of the experience. I mean, uh, not just uh, uh, not, not just, you know, learning about this, the United States, uh, going to all these newsrooms and uh, great places and meeting all these people, but looking at it from 10 different perspectives. Uh, uh, because everyone has their own uh, experience in journalism, uh, their own opinion of, of the United States and the world affairs in journalism. Uh, and it was also, it was, uh, being part of this group was, uh, uh, was a really interesting, uh, kind of point of view, uh, very multifaceted. 
And what I what I did learn about uh, journalism is that we we are actually facing pretty much the same problems everywhere. I mean, I could go on 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 a rant complaining about you know problems I'm having uh, back home that uh, you know I'm facing budget constant budget cuts and uh, my uh, you know my writers are missing deadlines and uh, we have a censorship ministry that's that's closing in and uh, you could just change Russia to Malaysia. And it would be pretty, pretty, pretty much the same. And uh, so we had people from, uh, I, w- I would say, some of the freest countries in terms of, you know, press freedom, like Portugal, like Portugal and Finland. But their problems aren't really that different. I, I mean, for example, if you are uh, in a country as free as Finland, which is literally the freest country. Uh, for uh, for a journalist working, the safest, freest country to be a journalist in the world, but it's a very small country and it's a very limited market, and uh, there's a, there are only so many Finnish speakers in the world, and mo- most of them live in Finland. So if you're uh, so if you're a journalist and you write in, in Finnish, your audience is limited. Your your options are limited to maybe a a, a couple of national newspapers. A bunch of local, small local newspapers and a, a business magazine, and, and that's 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 pretty much it. And uh, you know the market dynamics are pretty much the same. It's not like newspaper owners in Finland are too enthusiastic about uh, you know press freedom and everything. No, they what, what they mostly care about is the profits. And uh, yeah, and it's uh, it's it's the same situation anywhere you go, whether it's uh, uh, Brazil or. Portugal or Finland or Malaysia, you know, newspaper owners run it like a business. And, uh, yeah, they, they want to see, uh, you know, profit margins. And uh, there isn't much leeway for you as a journalist to uh, to go, to, to embark on these, uh, you know, lofty investigative projects that uh, take months to, uh, uh, to investigate and uh, come out with a compelling investigative uh, news story. So <laughs> it's... You know, this is this is really I mean, this is really interesting because it's something that's usually not talked, at least in in kind of public readers who monitor media. It's not too much, but it seems talked as much as about, say, the issues of, say, press freedom. Right. And and in particular in, in Russia, we we don't hear as much about the the economic side and the economic or market pressures and how they influence how journalism is conducted. So in in this idea that you you found out that you know a lot of you have the same problems what is it like in russia in terms of the media market and the pressures that market place on how people you know do journalism and the types of topics they cover well we kind of have the worst of both worlds uh yeah we we have the uh, kind of unfettered capitalism that di- that dictates the the coverage and we we have the uh, uh, on top of it we have political pressure on journalists, uh, which uh, I would say uh, there are places where it's worse. Uh, I mean, Russia is not uh, the situation with media freedom is Russia is definitely bad, but uh, certainly not as bad as in uh, is in Turkey, for example. So we don't have uh, hundreds of journalists jailed and uh, dozens of uh, newspaper closed. It's just a couple of them, but. We, you know, even the state uh, news agencies in Russia, they operate under the same business logic that a, a newspaper in the United States would. Uh, so there is a lot of uh, 
you know, unreasonable uh, demands. I mean, traffic quotas that you have to meet, even though you are fully funded by the uh, by the state, as is the case with the uh, with the biggest uh, news agencies in Russia. Uh, but you also have to meet these traffic quotas, so you are. Now uh, you are, you naturally gravitate towards the lowest common denominator in terms of content, so you push out a lo- lot of clickbaity stuff. Now, uh, although you would expect different situations, so uh, uh, kind of you have a lot of leeway uh, in terms of covering uh, topics that uh, smaller publications wouldn't. But no, it's the same, and it's uh, uh, they are uh, even the biggest publications in the country, they are, uh, slaves to this, uh, national news aggregator. And a, a, few, a few of them told me that, uh, a few insiders in these, uh, uh, huge media conglomerates, state, state owned media conglomerates in the country, they told me explicitly that we're not really writing the, these news briefs, uh, for, uh, for our audience. We all, we're only doing it to, to, to get picked up by the, uh, by the news aggregation robots, because we we need we need to, to we need to uh, meet the traffic quotas. No, so so that's I mean this is what's really interesting and in, in why I'm, I'm I was quite interested in your trip. I mean not just because of your impressions of the United States, which we'll get to, but in the sense of how the problems of media um, and and journalists. There, there's a global problem in terms of, you know, clickbait, in terms of meeting those traffic quotas, in terms of dealing with, fa- you know, false information or so-called fake news or whatever. It's to me, it always see as an outsider looking in. It seems like a lot of the our discussion about particularities of media, say in Russia or the United States or in other parts of the world, there's actually a lot in common that reflects a general global problem of media. <laughs> My Finnish colleague told me that uh, uh, she was uh, editing uh, a pretty straightforward uh, business story, and uh, she she felt that the only way that uh, she would uh, meet the uh, uh, the traffic quotas that would satisfy her uh, her magazine's advertisers advertisers was to put. Putin in the headlines. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. She 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 was disgusted, but she uh, uh, doing this. But of course, when she did it, uh, the you know the traffic just jumped through the roof. Yeah. Because uh, like this, uh, I don't know what it was what it was about. Like these this this brand of uh, you know fermented fermented milk. Yeah, it doesn't uh, matter. The, yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, it, it's Putin's favorite brand of fermented milk. <laughs> uh, we, we, <laughs> and of course, this uh, this pretty short, straightforward news brief uh, about some market movements, you know, it uh, generated like ten thousand clicks online, uh, because that's the only way of attracting uh, eyeballs to a serious uh, news story. So yeah, it's 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 the same everywhere. No, this this is I think one of the dirty little secrets that nobody wants to openly talk about here. At least I haven't seen it here in the United States. Is how much, despite everybody's anger with Trump. For media, he's kind of a, a golden goose um, in terms of, you know, he, he keeps the media – there's a profit motive in terms of covering him. Well, I, I definitely heard – no, I, I think a few people uh, were – we met were pretty explicit about it. Like, it's a – I think – yeah, de- uh, I definitely heard that argument uh, even last year at 
I can't quite pinpoint which speaker it was at these Aspen Ideas. Maybe it was Mary Ball of uh, the Atlantic, but uh, I'm, uh, I can't be quite sure. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, well, anyway, I heard this uh, argument for, from a few people. Like, let's face it, we are, uh, we in the media, we are riding the Trump wave and uh, we are reaping the benefits. And uh, uh, we, sh- like, it's, it's, it's about time we stop. Uh, you know, wringing our hands about you know what is the uh, what what is going to happen uh, to uh, journalism in the Trump era. What's going to happen is that we we have our subscriptions and our website traffickers is just it just through the roof. Yeah, it's it's very it's very somewhat depressing <laughs> in many despite the reality. It's very depressing. So so you traveled to several cities uh, around the United States. Um, and so what, what what impressions did you leave with? Okay, so we we had a, I had a, like a, this emotional roller coaster. Uh, we started off in uh, in Minnesota, uh, uh, in tw- in Twin Cities, and I immediately fell in love with the state and uh, uh, and we, with the city with the with Twin Cities. It's a very nice place with very nice people. I then of course I learned the phrase uh, Minnesota nice, uh, and uh, well yeah it's it, it's just that people are just extremely nice. <laughs> um, uh, what's uh, quite unlike Moscow, which isn't a nice place at all. Yeah, it's very personal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and uh, then uh, we went to. Uh, uh, so this is our. This was our, our itinerary: three weeks in, uh, in in Minnesota, in in the Twin Cities, and we went to the uh, to the north of the state, uh, to Duluth and uh, and Ely, Minnesota, the uh, on the border with Canada. Uh, near boundary waters, and then we went to this uh, the south of the state to Tracy, the farm farm country, and then we went to um, uh, we spent a, a week uh, or uh, or a few uh, or a few days in each of these places. We went to first DC, uh, then New York, uh, then uh, Miami, uh, then uh, okay, what, what was it then? It was Austin, Texas. Then it was uh, San Francisco. Uh, Chicago, Denver, and then back to Minneapolis. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. That's uh, we did travel a lot, and we were exhausted by the end of it because it's, it's sixteen to eighteen hours a day. We're either at meetings or you know uh, running from one meeting to another, or uh, we are packing our bags and going to the airport, or we are checking in and out of hotels. And I seriously can't. I, I seriously can't go on another trip. Uh, in, in, in hopefully another year, because I, I, for the life of me, I cannot see the inside of another airplane or, or a hotel room. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. So it was quite intense. And if you wanna, I, I can, I, I can give you my uh, most and least favorite uh, places in the states. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> it's, it is quite. It's, it's going to be quite biased, of course, and uh, uh, and it's uh, the the experience is of course very incomplete because. If I tell people that I, I liked Austin or I disliked San Francisco, mm-hmm. uh, of course, you could make a perfectly uh, good point by telling me that I went to all the wrong places and it was just the wrong time of the year. <laughs> or it's it's this uh, like every it's it's the same with Russia. So I'd say that my uh, it's a close tie for the uh, uh, for number one uh, between uh, Minneapolis and Austin, Texas. Yeah, everybody loves Austin. Yeah, Austin is just a really 
cool place. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's really, I had so many great experiences there, and it's just so so interesting. I so diverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would definitely love to spend a few more weeks there exploring the place. I mean, I haven't even got a glimpse of the local music scene because we had so little time there, just yeah. four, four or five days. And I had no, I, I didn't have any time to go to any of the uh, live shows or clubs in, in, in the town. I'd say my second most favorite place was, uh, probably Chicago hmm. uh, because uh, well I, again we only got to see the downtown but uh, it's just so much more organized and uh, you know kind of a with a self with a, with a sense of you know self-respect in New York hmm. which is just cha- cha- which is just chaotic yeah I like the air architecture a lot we went on the uh, architecture tour on the on the river tour and it's uh it's so so refined i i would i would call it okay uh, so denver and yeah, denver's uh, a nice uh, city yeah denver is a nice place definitely although i was kind of altitude sick the whole time yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and we uh, uh we went around the Colorado. I, I like Colorado. I mean, it's it's the the nature. The nature is just stunning. We went to the uh, to the Red Rocks uh, amphitheater, and uh, we we went trekking in the mountains uh, in the Rocky Mountains. It's just so it's so great. It's uh, it's a very beautiful place. Uh, okay, so Miami. We kind of you know it, it was a uh, it was like Miami was like a pit stop. I mostly remember we were in Miami Beach, uh, so we, we didn't really go anywhere outside of the uh, of the beach. Really, <laughs> uh, we went up in Miami. We went to Miami Herald, which was, was a great place, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and the university. Uh, the campus is is nice, I guess, but we didn't get to see much of the place, and uh, we just you know traveled back and forth. Uh, the airport and uh, and our and, and the place we stayed at and uh, I mostly remember it for and I'm I'm really thankful for the opportunity to finally cook my own food because we we didn't because I was you know I at at that point I was you know uh, everyone was so tired of eating airplane food and and, and burgers and uh, you know because by that point we've already we had already spent five weeks in hotel rooms. And, uh, and and airplanes and yeah, we did cook some food and we ate it. But it, it's I mean it's 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 nice, especially I guess if you are like a Russian billionaire owning owning a condo. I mean, it's, it's great. Uh, what didn't you like? Of, uh, what okay, cities did and, you not and, like? And it kind of and it kind of it, it kind of goes downhill from there. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, 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 again, I mean, New York must be nice if you're a billionaire. No, it's but not. If you, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you can, and you can, you can insulate yourself from the, all the chaos around you, uh, from the smells and, uh, and, and the crowds and, uh, and, and the noise and everything. But it's just that that gets you. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's literally, it's physically very, very tiring. It wears yeah. you out. 
And uh, but Moscow I is mean, also exhausting too, right? Like maybe uh, on a different oh, absolutely. level. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It's, it's and, in and that I, class. Yeah, it's in. It, it, yes, it's it's exactly there in the same in the same uh, league of uh, places that are hopelessly overpopulated uh, uh, because there there's just too many people crammed in one place that is crumbling. And all these, all these millions of people are trying somehow to claw out an existence for themselves. And, uh, you know, they are just crammed into this very limited space with very limited resources. And they're, you know, it's just very, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of got the same, uh, uh, you know, neurotic vibe as <laughs> Moscow. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course, of course, it's fascinating all the uh, all, all the all the sites and uh, and uh, and the landmarks and the museums and and everything. Of course, it's. Uh, I mean, I wish I could uh, spend another couple of weeks exploring all that. And I and I was really and I was really stunned by the nine eleven memorial where we uh, the, the the memorial in the museum. Uh, but the place is just so 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 exhausting. Uh, so what else did we see? And then, uh, uh, well, of course, in the and the and the, uh, the kind of the lowest point, and that's just not and that's not my opinion. And please don't take offense if you're from San Francisco. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm from actually. But, I'm from. I just have to say, I'm from Los Angeles. So the fact that you <laughs> trash San Francisco, I like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but seriously, seriously, that place is a mess. I mean, we're big. <laughs> uh, well, on the on our, literally our first few minutes in San Francisco, when we checked into into our hotel, the first thing, the very first thing that we heard in San Francisco was, "You probably want, don't want to go a few blocks south of here, so try to avoid that area." And it never sounds good, you know. <laughs> you're literally your first minutes in a new place, and you're telling me, so you know. Few blocks from here, south of here, is kind of a no-go area. <laughs> so yeah, uh, and obviously that's that was the first place I went to, uh, and it was it was a tenderloin uh, area, uh, which is just uh, a lot of people that are not not just homeless. They are you know homeless. You know you know the term homeless is kind of uh, assumes that. The person just doesn't have a home, and you can fix it, the situation by giving him them a home, right. and they will be fine. They will be fine. But no, it kind of you know we have to come up with a different term for for the state of these uh, you know hundreds and thousands of these of these people in downtown San Francisco are, and it's definitely not homeless. You cannot fix their their problem by giving them a home. Although you cannot you cannot really give them a home because you you cannot build anything in San Francisco for. For a billion different reasons, I'm not going to get into them. I did some research online, and uh, you know there is it's just uh, one of these uh, 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 one of these uh, kind of phenomena um, uh, in this in the states where you have a you have a huge problem like wildfire, wildfires in California, homelessness in, in in downtown Los Angeles and San Francisco, or uh, you know mass shootings in schools. And it's and it's obviously a problem, and everybody, everyone admits that it is. But it's just locked in this hopeless tangle of different political and business interests, and and it's just no way. There is simply no way to uh, kind of 
diplomatically resolve this situation. You can hold countless debates and, and sit down hall meetings and uh, talk shows on, uh, on cable TV. But it's, it, the problem is just getting worse by the day, literally. Uh, there is no way out of it. Like this is this is hopeless. This is unsolvable. So uh, were you? It sounds like you were. It sounds like you were really shocked to see this. Like I was. I was. I mean, I mean, I, I'm telling you. So uh, as you can probably imagine, I, I mean, I, I lived through the uh, '90s in Moscow, and and I did see a lot of poor, homeless, and really hopeless people. And uh, we had a few people from places like India. Uh, we had an uh, um, AFP correspondent in Delhi. Uh, which is one of the most, you know, overpopulated, uh, uh, polluted uh, cities in the world. But it was our group's consensus that we did see some screwed up places and we live, some of us lived in them, but it's nothing on that scale. So it, it's not just third world poverty and destitution. It's something on a, on a, on a different level. Is it, is it also, was it also worse because of the, the, the sheer disparity in in wealth in San Fr- like a place like San Francisco where you have you know Twitter and all of this Silicon Valley stuff. I mean, just the pil- piles and piles of money, the cost of real estate, and then you have this really like the extreme opposite of that. Yeah, it's it's definitely. I mean, it was. Uh, yeah, you must remember the uh, you know the coverage of uh, of Russia in the in the late nineties uh, and the early two thousands. And it was kind of the staple of uh, Russia coverage. Uh, these, uh, so there are these Bentley and Mercedes whizzing uh, uh, past these poor babushkas, uh, poor old women selling socks uh, that they had to knit themselves to make and so, so, somehow make ends meet. Like there is like the the, the, the extremes of uh, wealth inequality uh, in. Uh, in both Soviet Russia, but again, it's nothing. It's not. It's not. It was. I, I do remember that quite vividly. That period. That period. I. I was there. I lived there, and I can tell you, it's nothing like that. I mean, here you. Here you have Teslas. Uh, you know, t- here you have these uh, tech billionaires in Teslas whizzing past. Uh, these people just literally beyond any help. They're not just. You know, some of them are selling their paltry possessions for a dollar. Like I saw. A woman in what was obviously very advanced stage, uh, stage of uh, you know drug addiction, drug addiction and withdrawal, <laughs> and she was selling lipstick. It was just a, like a pile of lipstick in, in front of her. Uh, she was selling them for a dollar, and it was quite obvious that they were you know this lipstick that was uh, you know and this uh, some some other cosmetic items were stolen from the nearest Walgreens. And shoplifted from somewhere, and she was obviously selling them for whatever pocket change uh, other people could give her, so that she could finance her next heroin fix. And we, I saw, I saw, not just one, but like dozens of people uh, shooting up on the sidewalks and 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 snorting and snorting uh, some white powder and uh, rambling incoherently and. Uh, wandering and just cursing into the in, in into the void and uh just slumped on the sidewalks and almost like dead and, and i was kind of tempt, tempted to check are they really alive all these people they're just lying there on the side and nobody's nobody's giving a damn and then people people are just walking past because what can you really do 
yeah, they're just superfluous people. I mean, they're just, you know, they're just on a level of of non-humanness. So I want I want to ask you so I'm assuming you shared like these impressions with some of the journalists and others you were meeting in the United States. What was their how did they uh respond to your observations? Well, I'd say we did ask about that we were going to San Francisco uh, uh in New York. <laughs> uh, so I had a conversation in New York with a colleague and she said, "Okay, so you're be prepared. So uh, she said, you're, you're going to see, you, uh, I, I'm going to tell you this, like San Francisco has a homeless, homelessness problem, but it doesn't even begin to describe it, it, it uh, she said. So you're going to see this. Uh, and uh, she said, but if you try to talk to locals about it, they're all in denial. And they were. Hmm, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so yeah, people are very much aware, and it's, uh, it's it, again everybody, everyone is aware of the scale of the problem. Uh, but you know, on an individual level, what can you really do? Uh, so you can you can probably like there's a person panhandling on the street, and that's obviously he's obviously malnourished, and so you can give him a dollar or twenty or a hundred, but that's not going to solve the problem. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's too it's too embedded. I mean, as you said, it's too embedded into the structure of this of these cities that you know uh, there's nothing. There's no like there needs to be a. They would require a major. I think, as you put it a few minutes ago, there's no diplomatic way of settling this problem. <laughs> so, but I want I want to ask you. So you went around to these these a lot of uh, local newspapers, which I which I found. You know, you went to these big market ones like New York and D.C., but you also went around the places like Denver and Austin and where these smaller publications, these smaller city newspapers are. And um, what were your impressions of like these local newspapers? And 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 more importantly, if you can, how does this comp- – I always wondered about how this worked on – in Russia too, in local newspapers in Russia, which there are a lot many more than say in the United States. So what were your impressions of the a local news scene? Um, okay, so it was probably uh, uh, some of the uh, uh, most inspiring uh, visits, but also some were pretty depressing. And I mean, uh, by inspiring, I mean uh, uh, everywhere we went, whether it's a struggling local uh, newspaper with a history or a snappy little startup or uh, a big newspaper, everywhere what astonished us was the level of professionalism. And uh, how effective all these uh, big and small media machines are run. Uh, because, well, <laughs> we just found Americans to be very punctual people. And uh, <laughs> punctual and professional and collected. And uh, in Russia, I, I mean, I've worked in many different Russian uh, newsrooms uh, on, every, <laughs> on every level. But I, you know, it's just, it's, 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 it's chaos. Everyone is just running around. A few minutes before the deadline, screaming and swearing and cursing because nothing works as it's supposed to do. It's supposed to, and uh, uh, no one ever files their stories on time, and nothing ever works the way it should. And it's just, <laughs> uh, well, every place we went in the states is the is the opposite of that. Every, everyone is calm and collected and professional, and uh, it runs. You know, all these places are just very smoothly run. Uh, which is uh, definitely an experience I want I want to replicate, and um, I'd say that uh, on a low to middle level, 
like a small local news website in uh, in Minneapolis covering just local affairs or uh, uh, or places like Star Tribune in Minneapolis uh, or the Colorado Sun or the Texas Tribune, uh, the new uh, online-only startups. Uh, uh, there, the scale is uh, just much more relatable uh, than everything we saw in, in New York and DC. Uh, you know, they they have the same kind of issues that we do. Like we have an old, they, they have an old uh, proprietary CMS that is very hard to migrate from, and uh, you know uh, the advertisers are fleeing, uh, and uh, you know their budget budget cuts are looming. So these th these are the problems that we can all relate to. But of course, uh, nothing is really uh, uh, nothing in the United States media industry is transplantable onto any other soil uh, because yeah uh, as I said you know, like uh, I'd say that the United States uh, although it's not uh, it doesn't rank the highest on the uh, on the press freedom index on the different ones so it lags behind uh, uh, most European countries uh, but what I found to be the case in the United States uh, in terms of uh, the media industry, uh, it's a perfect combination of several crucial factors. Uh, like, of course, there's the First Amendment, uh, which is uh, it's uh, it's kind of no, it's non-negotiable, uh, and it's uh, uh, everyone. I found that you know, um, Americans treated like it was it, it wasn't just a concept for us, like uh, an argument to use, but it. Uh, I found that it's really like like it's really sacrosanct. Yeah, it's it is it's almost a it's almost like a, a you know the first it's almost a religious relationship to it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you have that something that we don't like. I mean, we do have a constitutional provision in the Russian constitution, the Russian constitution, but like nobody really cares. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if it works. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I mean, if someone wants to crush you. They will do that regardless of the of this uh, co uh, constitutional article, uh, and uh, there is a very healthy civil society uh, uh, with a culture of philanthropy, and a lot of people uh, donate money uh, from you know uh, a one-time donation of twenty bucks to. Uh, uh, a lot of really a lot of like huge amounts of money uh, that we cannot just begin to uh, imagine on this scale like millions of dollars I mean I'd be happy if somebody gave me ten thousand so you you do have this this really recent um, uh, case with uh, the new times in Russia that got fined you know I can't remember the number of the amount of money I think it was in the hundreds of thousands and uh, people donated money to, you know, uh, basically pay that fine. I mean, it was quite miraculous how many people donated and how quickly. You also have, uh, you know, I like uh, Media Zona is also doing fundraising. Uh, Novia Gazeta is doing fundraising. I don't know how well they've done, but do you think that it, these examples might point to a possibility of of this changing in Russia in the sense of readers and supporters of this media now contributing uh, you know, a couple of bucks here, a couple of rubles here and there. 
Uh, definitely. And I myself had a, a very positive experience with crowdfunding my own project. Uh, uh, so, yes, uh, there is a, this, uh, I'd say, a budding culture of, of supporting, uh, you know, independent media. And it's, it's, it's great. But also, and this is, this is very crucial here, uh, this, is how, this is what allows, uh, you know, all these non-profit media in the United States which I'd say were, and we went to ProPublica and uh, it was really uh, to Center for Investigative Reporting. But this is just really the best that there is. Like this, this is the cream of the crop of the American journalism doing some really important investigations, not, you know, not paying attention to all, to all the white noise and the breaking news cycle, just focusing on what really matters. This is the, the, the best that the, 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 the best of modern journalism. But what, what helps is what, what allows it to survive uh, is the uh, tax breaks. You can, uh. if you're, yeah, yeah, we don't have that. I mean, uh, in the States, you get a tax break for, for supporting a nonprofit uh, publication. Yeah. So there's no, like, there's a very strong incentive to, uh, uh, to donate a large sum of money to an independent uh, nonprofit publication. But there's not, there's not, like, there are literally, I'd say there are literally two people in the entire Russia, and they both are now in, in exile that can afford, that can afford to uh, uh, fund independent media projects. But then, but I, I can assure you that they're not doing this uh, out of the goodness of their hearts. Yeah, no, the cultural, I mean, the cultural difference is, is really key. I mean, in terms of this, you know, uh, this funding. Um, but it, it is nice to see that at least there's been some exceptions to the, to the general rule where these important, uh, Russian media outlets, you know, get some support from its readers and supporters and things like this. So hopefully it, it will change. I also wanted to ask too, you know, in Russia, you have a lot of people, a lot of young journalists like yourself who are really doing, uh, you know, Within the 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 given you know many constraints one has as a journalist in Russia, doing really great work. Um, so, do you think that it in terms of um, like you said, you can't? It's not like you can adopt what you saw in the United States into Russia. But do you in in your evaluation of the direction Russian Russian journalism is going? Do you see it having a a kind of bright future ahead, or are there still many many obstacles? Uh, well, it's kind of a it's kind of a parallel process that uh, uh, I'd say it's concurrent. The worse the situation gets, uh, like there like, uh, there are fine there is this destructive fines designed really to break your back and uh, to put you out of business, and there are all all, all these uh, obviously uh, selectively uh, 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 applied uh, laws. Uh, also designed designed to put you out of business or to stifle your reporting, and there's it's it's I we, I, I can I can't really see uh, the situation as improving in any way. So it's only getting worse. So it's uh, it's only it's only the question of how war, how worse and how fast how fast uh, is going to get. This is in terms of this con- the the constraints on doing journalism. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, there is an explosion of really great journalism. To the point that even I, uh, uh, a maniac, a maniac media consumer, I mean, it's literally my job and my hobby, and I, I read all every waking hour of my day. Uh, I read a lot of 
great articles, great investigative stories. And although I'm doing this almost 24-7, there is simply no time to read all this through this great journal. Uh, that is re really, really uh, great in-depth coverage of uh, really important matters by the best journalists, the, the, the best investigative, investigative journalists in the country. And uh, there's, like, there's a, a renaissance of, of investigative journalism in Russia. Uh, but of course, I mean, there's always, uh, it, it does sound great, but of course there's the, there's the market side of it, the, the business side of it. So the best journalists, they will be like, I have a real problem with attracting talent, retracting and retaining talent, <laughs> uh, to the, to the, pub, uh, to, to the publications I work for, uh, because, uh, and it's uh, actually, it's quite, it's pretty much the same problem in the States and it's, uh, uh, every a low and mid-level publication in the states we went to uh everyone said okay yeah we have <laughs> we have like really young and talented journalists uh here and uh they spend a year or two with us and then they immediately get snatched spirited away to the new york times to the new york times or the washington post or the los angeles times where they come out a few years later jaded <laughs> and and disappointed because they are they they are chewed out and spit out by this uh, uh, relentless media machine, and they were they aren't just ready for that. Uh, so uh, this is this, the the problem is very much the same in in Russia. So every talented reporter I know, he either works for he or she works for Medusa uh, or the BBC Russia, BBC Russian BBC Russian just vacuums up talent <laughs> and uh, well I, I can't afford the same I, I can't afford to pay them the same money uh, so so there's not a lot of uh, uh, it's just you know big media uh, vacuums up talent and there's not much left uh, to, to write for the smaller ones uh, so yeah that's uh, that's that's kind of similar to what I saw and, and heard in, in the states you know, I, I I heard your interview on on Kevin Rothrock's Russia guy, and uh, and he of course asked you about you know how did Americans regard you as a Russian, particularly right now in the United States, where Russia is in in the media or has been in the media quite, quite hysterically in many respects, and uh, and and you said to him that you know Americans don't really care, um, and and I actually agree with you. I I don't think. Americans really care that much about Russia and Russians and, you know, Putin and all of this stuff. So th that, though, makes me want to ask you, you know, given the amount of fever pitch reporting about Russia, particularly around, you know, Russia Gate and interference in American elections, what do you think, if, if, if Americans aren't, in general, aren't that interested, what is all of this stuff in the America media for? Who's the audience for this? Uh, well, it's kind of a, uh, I found this, uh, the, uh, well, I saw a few raised eyebrows, uh, and I heard a few bad KGB jokes, but I, <laughs> yeah, uh, but I'd say that the, the whole kind of Russia hysteria thing is, uh, is an, uh, is an echo chamber, uh, that, uh, kind of undulates between, uh, New York and DC, uh, the, the newsrooms and cable, and, and ca cable, uh, uh 
cable television talk shows and uh, a few hysterical headlines uh, here and there, but that's about it. I mean, it's it's really an, it's really a echo chamber. Uh, and I, 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 I honestly didn't see any, uh, uh, any prejudice against me as a Russian and, uh, uh, no, uh, you know, in most instances, people didn't really, you know, flinch. Okay. Hi, I'm Alexei. I'm from Russia. Well, okay. Welcome here and, uh, uh, make yourself comfortable. <laughs> uh, well, I just found it, well, I, I think there one reason be that, you know, people don't really know much about Russia. <laughs> and people in general, you know, the, the audience of these uh, uh, cable TV talk shows and the New York Times and the Washington Post, you know, you, you know the usual suspects in, uh, mm -hmm. uh, in, the, uh, uh, in the kind of sensationalist headlines, most people don't read the New York Times and they don't watch cable TV. Most people in the, in the United States, they would, they at best they uh, they read a local newspaper, which doesn't, you know, in in all cases, in every single case we went to, most of these uh, big local newspapers like the Denver Post and the Miami Herald and the Chicago Tribune, they don't even have a foreign desk. You know, most of the coverage is very local. There's nothing about Russia there, and. Uh, if if you can yeah you you see these news stalls so, so uh, these uh, uh, what do you call them the news stall or the news vendor newsstand so you can see a uh, an almost an almost untouched stack of the New York Times uh, yeah and uh, and the local newspaper just goes away in minutes uh, but it's all very it's all very local like uh, uh, traffic in a local uh, interstate and. Uh, uh, the weather, local sports team. So people don't really, you know, Russia is not really in the headlines, with a with a very with a very few exceptions. I mean, that's interesting because my impression is is that m most m most Americans now consume. I mean, I'm happy to hear that if they're consuming local media, because my impression is the opposite that they're consuming far more national media at the peril of their knowledge of where they live, right? Um, so I, I'm happy to hear that you your observations pointed in the other direction. Yeah, I like that people you know people really uh, care about the local newspapers and they support it and support them when they can. But it's also the other side of this coin is that people don't really know what's going on outside their city, outside the state, and uh, you know. Few uh, uh, American newspapers can even afford a Washington correspondent. So, so at best, they pick up uh, the newswires from AP, and that's about it. And uh, uh, and people just don't know anything about the world. Uh, so Russia is the Russia isn't is, isn't any different from Brazil or whatever other country that's uh, uh, that's almost as big as the United States. But people don't really know that people are barely aware that they're there. <laughs> So, so finally, um, how do you understand journalism in Russia any different after this experience in the United States? Like, what do you, what did you take from it that makes you look at your own situation somewhat differently? I would say that uh, you know I, I now have a, a much uh, a kind of less apocalyptic view of our situation because. It's not really as bad as I thought. Uh, it's you know, our our situation in, in Russia is certainly not unique, and it's not the worst. Uh, 
So there, you know, it, it definitely can be worse than that. Uh, and there are ways of making it better. And there are lessons to be learned. Uh, right. Definitely uh, uh, from our American colleagues, and there we can learn from their uh, from their experience. Although there isn't much of it that we can, uh, you know, in terms of in purely practical terms. Uh, so we, we cannot we cannot rely on a rich guy that just gives us a million bucks, no strings attached, because he just believes in the First Amendment and he wants to get a tax break. But uh, I was I was definitely much more inspired to do my job because, uh, well, I can see that you know there's uh, you really can make a difference, and uh, uh, if you're if you do your job well and you don't you know uh, dig yourself in this partisan little hole. Uh, uh, so yeah, there's a, I, I'd say that it was a great experience and I'm, uh, I, I'm very glad that I did and I'm thankful to the people, uh, who made it happen. And so, well, and also America is just a really great place. <laughs> that was Alexei Kovilov, a Russian journalist currently working as the managing editor of Coda.ru an independent investigative reporting outlet. He's also the founder of Noodle Remover, a website devoted to exposing Russian media propaganda. You can follow him on Twitter at Alexei underscore Kovelov. I'm your host, Sean Guillory, and this is the SRB Podcast. The SRB Podcast is sponsored by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Pittsburgh and listeners like you. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to help support it, please take a moment to share it on Facebook and Twitter, like my Facebook page, Sean's Russia Blog. Write a review or recommend the show to your friends. The SRB podcast comes cheap, but it's not free to make. You can help support it by joining the table of ranks at seansrussiablog.org. Thanks to all my high excellencies, high well-borns, and noblenesses for your continued patronage. You can find past shows on iTunes and SoundCloud or... You can download them directly from seansrussiablog.org as well. Until next time, bye!